Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen of Cardinal Nation. Uh, welcome to the 33rd episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Mazuki, and I'm being joined by my two editors. Uh, first, we got the head honcho, Dr. Miles. Dr. Miles, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, it's going to be great to be here with you. Awesome. It's great to have you on. And, of course, we have his partner in crime, uh, Tito. Tito, how are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing okay, but just absolutely disappointed in the United States men's national soccer team. What an absolute disgrace. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely disappointing. But anyway, it's time to get into some Cardinal news. So first off, we have some news about uh, longtime coach, pitching coach Lilliquist and uh, the bullpen coach, Illsley, are both uh, being fired. Because, well, Mozeliak said in the press conference that they're seeking a more modern approach. In particular, uh, it looks like that they're, here's a quote from Mozeliak, is that they have to understand modern strategy, modern analytics, and how we, the Cardinals, can lever, leverage that to optimize our staff. Now, I'm kind of interested um, because there are several other comments in there that I'd like to sort of read to you guys. And it's pertaining to Mike Matheny. So you have comments like Matheny gets beat up pretty hard on that in relation to bullpen management. And unfairly, he said, this was a year where we had a lot of those underlying health and performance reasons. Who could go? Who couldn't? You're not always going to see that. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are also things like, you know, clearly when we look back at the success of our pitching, it's been good but I feel like the process was not ideal for future growth. This is a unique spot. We have to get this right. So my question to you guys, and we'll start with you, Dr. Miles, is do you think this is an attempt to take some of the, the heat and the blame off of Matheny, or do you think that there actually needed to be a change and the request that Illigley needed to go in order for the Cardinals to move forward? Well, first off, let me just say how impressed I am off the bat Christian, that you were so quick to get Tito to stop talking about soccer and on to the Cardinals. <laughs> I just want to give you kudos for that. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we were discussing this before we start went on the air. So kudos to you, Christian, for grabbing the hosting bull by the horns, as it were, and keeping Tito on, on task. So great job. Now to your question, <clears throat> let me tell you guys that earlier – this, this afternoon, I, I had the privilege of being on uh, WGNU, which is AM 920 out of St. Louis, with Mike the Z-Man on his talk, his sports talk in the afternoon, was on there for about 20 minutes, talked about Redbird Rants, got to talk about fan-sided and, and our Cardinals. 
and this very question came up. And what we talked about together this afternoon was the idea that did Lilliquist and the ilk need to go? Yes, but they weren't alone. And these two guys fell on the sword. And we know that, yes, we should be moving younger and looking at sabermetrics, I suppose. Uh, it's an easy scapegoat. Um, in this day and age, for them to not have to go after Matheny. But if we're going to also talk about sabermetrics from, from the pitching standpoint, then we need to also be fair and talk about the sabermetrics from the hitting standpoint. And I think you're pretty hard-pressed to convince me that John Mabry knows anything about sabermetrics. And you just don't, I think if, you, if Mabry did have a good grasp on sabermetrics, then you would have seen a stronger emphasis for Randall Gritchick and Matt Adams when he was a part of the Cardinals to learn how to hit a slider. And they never did. I mean, I've said it before on this podcast. I've said it in articles I've written, much to the chagrin of Josh. But if Randall up at bat, I'm throwing him three straight sliders, and the dude's going to swing over all three of them, and he's going to sit down. A hitting coach who is attuned to sabermetrics is going to catch on to that sort of thing, and they're going to use those stats to teach Randall how to be better at his game. He's just one such example. So to answer your question, did Lilliquist need to go? Uh, listen, I think the whole coaching staff needs to go. So that's a tough question for me. But if, if you had to pick two to leave, I think they got the wrong one. But I could well be proven wrong. All right. Uh, those are some great comments. Anything on that, Tito? Yeah, and here's the thing. When it comes to Matheny's bullpen management, you know, it's not so much it's not so much his job to get the players ready to pitch. You know, it's Matheny's job to put, you know, to use the correct person at the right time. And it was very obvious that whoever came out of the bullpen, especially early on in the season, you know, we saw the bullpen struggle because whether we want to say it was due to wool or due to something else, but we saw them struggle. And the person that needs to get them ready to pitch is Derek Lilliquist. And you know, you can even extend that to the bullpen coach because essentially, you know, Isley is an extension of, you know, Lilliquist. And you look at the performance of the bullpen this year, subpar. You know, I wrote back at the very beginning of this year that the Cardinals had the best bullpen in the, you know, in the, uh, in the Central Division. And look how that turned out. You know, if the Cardinals' bullpen doesn't blow, you know, seven games, you know, we're talking, we're probably in the playoffs and probably still playing. But, you know, that wasn't the case. So, you know, this isn't just a singular event either. It's not just this year. It's also extending from last year. There were a couple games where, you know, look at what happened to Trevor Rosenthal. Wasn't ready to pitch and, and got completely taken out of his closer role after being one of the best closers in baseball the year before. 
how do you explain that besides the fact that, you know, people aren't, you know, just aren't ready to pitch. Now, you know, it always comes back to one question for me, and it's is how much can you blame the coach? And unfortunately, you know, that's that's the kind of situation we're going to find ourselves in with a lot of these things. You know, Dr. Miles mentions, mentions the hitting coach, John Mabry, and while I also think he needs to go, you know, Randall Gritchick should have, you know, he should have been gone by now. Nobody in their right mind would keep playing him, and thankfully they didn't, but nobody would play him if he was that poor at hitting, and he and he is. Uh, and, I, and I'll say it again and again and again. I don't understand the fascination with Randall Gritchick. I would rather him hit 270 with 15 home runs and 80 RBIs than 240 with 25 25 uh, home runs and 60 RBIs. You can't you can't convince me of otherwise. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with you with that. I mean, I do think that Lilliquist and them needed to go. I think one of the most telling things was, I mean, the fact that some of these pitchers couldn't even throw from first base. I mean, that is, at the end of the day, a big part of pitching, having control over the base pass. And if you don't even have the ability to do that, I, it goes to show that from top to bottom, the preparation was a little bit lacking. But to right. your point, Tito. Hey, can I? Oh, keep going. Yeah, you can go, Michael. By all means. I just wanted to add this, this piece as well, to tag on to what Tito's saying. And I think that, Tito, you, you make some of the best points ever when you talk about you know, this idea of the, the managerial staff, the coaching staff putting players on the field who other teams would not have done such a thing. One of the things that sort of stand out, stands out to me after out of that presser is this idea that we're going to pick up a coach who is more attuned to sabermetrics. Well, that works if you have a manager who's willing to listen to said coach. And I said this this afternoon on the radio. Go back and look at any of the broadcasts the last two seasons and, and probably even go back farther than that. And, and what you see predominantly is Matheny standing on the stairs. You don't really ever see or you don't see much of, and this could be due to the fact that most of the time that the camera is on, you know, the ball's in play or, or what have you, but you don't really see Matheny sitting and talking with Lilliquist. You never really saw him talking to David, to, to, to Bell. You, you don't even really see him talking to Mabry. You, you, and when Pop Warner was there in that dugout, they should have taken Velcro strips and Velcroed Matheny to his side in prayer that osmosis would take the intelligence from Pop Warner and somehow get it into the leader of men manifesto. And I guess my point is, I don't know that getting a different sub coach, if you will, is going to change the atmosphere to such a degree that it would have that sort of an outstanding impact. And I really hope I'm wrong, but I just don't think so. But let me put it to you this way, Dr. Miles, though, and, and, and you, Christian. What if, what if by pretty much saying, hey, this is what we're going for, it is an ultimatum to Mike Matheny saying, you know what? It's clear your, your ways, we'll say his ways, 
are not working or have not worked for us these last two years, we're going in this direction, you need to meet us there, and you don't have a choice. I mean, that definitely uh, could be what the uh, – go ahead, Dr. Miles. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say exactly what I think you're starting to say, um, Christian, and that is I love it, and and I I have I, I kick myself that I didn't really see that double speak, and so kudos to you, Tito, for 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 seeing that because that could very well be what what's happening. You know, we don't see a whole lot behind the scenes. It, it still frustrates me that then why haven't we turned any attention to Mabry? Go ahead, Christian. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, I got. Oh wow. I've got. I got a lot of stuff to say. So I guess. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I guess I'll start with everything fresh that we just were just talking about. So I think something interesting that Matheny said when I'm looking at the Lilliquist, talking about you know the transition, he very specifically says because the pitching coach and I need to get someone going get his opinion, and then I make this decision. He's, it, so it, it's like he's talking like that wasn't happening before. So I definitely I do agree with both, what both of you are saying. I think that, I mean, just that idea of he, the fact that he wasn't even communicating with his coach in the first place and that it's sort of subconsciously coming out. Now, as for the Mabry thing, I would like to – I think Gritchick is a good point, but another one that I know I'm probably going to end up being – on the this will be the new Gritchick wheel or the Gritchick bandwagon, but Matt Carpenter, man, Matt Carpenter, when John Mabry came in, 200, 199 hits, 126 runs, hitting 318, okay, 55 doubles. Suddenly, John Mabry decides, you know what, or whoever they decide, you know what, you 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 need to hit for more power. And suddenly we're getting a 272 guy with 20 home runs and around the same number of RBIs. So like, like Tito was saying with Grichuk, where we'd rather have a 270 guy, I mean, I would much rather have a guy who can lead the league in hits. I mean, Matt Carpenter's also led the league in walks. I mean, with those two tools together, how, how can you be a guy that just constantly tries to pull – pitches like it's and how can Mabry see that and be okay with it so that that's my take on on Mabry it just it pisses me off it really does and you can if you read my article you'll see how much it pisses me off but <laughs> so, it's just go for yeah. it Dito. yeah uh, I'm gonna save you from uh you know bashing Mabry any further um so here's here's the thing with Matt Carpenter he came to the Cardinals at a, at a at an interesting time where the Cardinals didn't have really that prototypical leadoff hitter. And then all of a sudden he has this success as the leadoff hitter. And you look at his approach when he was doing well, like, for instance, when he had the 199 hits. Look at that approach versus what you're, you're talking about now. You know, you're talking about, like you said, the 270, 280 hitter versus the 250 hitter who hits, you know, 25 home runs. There's this subconscious part of me or there's this thinking in my head that the emphasis being placed on the home run, not just with the Cardinals, but across Major League Baseball itself, it, it, it's, it's skewing the abilities 
of some of these hitters to just play the game naturally. And it's great to, to get some lift on the ball, and I think this is where the sabermetrics, like, sometimes mess with people's heads, is that, you know, we're always talking about launch angle and exit velocity now. Like, who gives a crap? Just hit the ball and play the game. Like, that's, that's how I see sabermetrics sometimes. And, and so with Matt Carpenter, you know, maybe it's a product of his shoulder being hurt. But if you're John Mabry and you look at the kind of season that Matt Carpenter had versus what he is going through these last two seasons, you have to sit him down and say, hey, man, what can we do to get you back to this place? Because obviously a solo home run out of the leadoff spot doesn't mean shit. It doesn't. It, it, it really doesn't. It's only when he has the guys guys on base after that. But guess who those people are? Your eighth and ninth hitters who probably won't get on base anyway because look who they were this year, Grichik and Piscotti. So you can't you can't emphasize a home run with a guy that doesn't naturally do it. And so that's why that's where I I get frustrated with John Mabry and why he should be fired is because he is not taking the time to look at his players and say, hey, you're not that person. We need you to be this person who you actually are. Instead of worrying about how many home runs you're going to hit, just hit the ball and, and do that. But he can't do that, and I'm not sure why. And I don't know why Matheny if, – if Matheny is sticking up for him, I feel bad. I feel even worse for Matheny because it, it just doesn't make sense. I, let me jump in because I love something you just said, Tito, and you were talking about sabermetrics and, and getting the heads of hitters and, and making them change their approach because they're – they're in focus now on launch angle and speed of the ball off of the bat, et cetera. Man, I, I love that statement that you made because I think you are dead on with that. I despise all of those pieces of sabermetrics when it comes to hitting. I mean, despise them. What I think is more pressing, and this is sort of why I'm drinking the St. Louis Cardinal Kool-Aid, you know, that sort of forced down our throats by Mosaic and Gersh. Mm-hmm. I think that a sabermetric pitching coach is far more impactful than anything else if, this is a huge if, it's bolded, it's italicized, hell, it's even underlined. If that pitching coach is conferred upon by the hitting coach and by the manager, because I think that you can get a hitter out of his or out of his head by saying to him from a pitching coach perspective, this is what sabermetrics says these pitchers are going to do. Your opposing pitchers are going to do. Now, don't worry about anything other than a sound, solid, well put together swing. Don't think about launch angle. Don't think about speed of the ball off the bat. Don't think of anything. Go up there and hit it. But know what they're going to throw to you using the statistics that are at our disposal. But that only happens if you have the clubhouse and the coaching staff who are willing to allow that collaborative sense of information sharing. I mean, quite honestly, 
I think that the St. Louis Cardinals clubhouse and, and coaching staff that we saw over the last two seasons were, were pre-9-11 FBI and CIA and Homeland Security. And they just weren't talking to each other. They weren't sharing information. And I think that's what led to the outcomes that the team received in those seasons. Yeah, I think you're right, Dr. Miles. I mean, like I said, those comments about Matheny saying, well, we need to talk to the pitching coach. I need to talk to the pitching coach. It, it just seems like that, that that collaboration wasn't there. And in terms right. of the whole launch of it, oh, sorry, keep going. No, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, no worries. No worries. Uh, this is, and, and maybe I should write an article about that last comment, because if, if he, you know, when he says that, when he says, I need to talk to the pitching coach more, you're damn right you do. <laughs> you're the manager. Yeah, I was going to say, you're my comment manager. was no shit. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the manager. You you can't you can't no you cannot possibly believe that you're gonna get away with not saying anything to him. You're the manager. You're the one directing them. Because if it's the other way around, then hell, get out of the way. If Derek Lilliquist is telling Mike Matheny, hey, this is when you need to do it, then he's then Mike Matheny's not the manager. It's it's just that plain and simple. You know, in the real world, your employees don't tell you what to do if you're a manager. It's the same principle. So if, if, if he's going around saying that and he's going to continue to say that, then he should be fired. And he should be gone from the Cardinals. You know, here's a funny I question mean, for you both on, on the tails of that. Do you think – that Matheny should have listened to his developers and money managers about the real estate investments. Sorry, that was a low blow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I guess there's no love lost for Matheny here. I mean, no, I'm sure sure I don't like him. it, it, It just comes down to the simple fact. Again, he is the, he is the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, not Derek Lilliquist. And there's, there's no, again, no reason for him not to be speaking with his coaches. And if there's some kind of miscommunication, again, it's on Mike Matheny to bridge that gap. He is the leader. That is what he does. That's a, Apparently, that's what he does. He's the leader of men, right? But apparently, that's not happening. And maybe this is a publicity stunt. Just to say, hey, maybe you know Dr. Miles is right. Maybe this is to get the heat off of him. But either he puts up or shuts up. And at this point, he needs to put up. Otherwise, I'm telling you, I I think if the Cardinals do not have success, they will fire him mid-season. I'm 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 putting it down right now. All right, guys. Uh, we've had some great discussions so far, but. Uh, I'm going to cut to a quick commercial break before we go into some player rumors. So, But before I do that, uh, I'd like to let you guys know that all three of us have are putting up lots of articles on the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, including analysis and news and all sorts of things, at uh, Uh So stick around, and thank you for listening to the uh, 33rd official episode of the Redbird Rants podcast. 
And we're back with the 33rd episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast. And I think all St. Louis Cardinal fans, most of them at least, are quite excited about what's going to go, ha- go down this offseason, especially in terms of player transactions for the Cardinals. And there are obviously a lot of rumors floating around, so I'll go down one by one. So first I'd like to start with uh, the Japanese closer that people have been talking about, Yoshihisa Hirano. Uh, 34-year-old guy. Uh, he has been a reliever for seven years after struggling as a starter. Has registered a 2-3-2 ERA with 564 Ks and 123 walks through 515 in the third inning in those seven years. I mean, he's old, so he's uh, basically qualified as a free agent. He's exempt from all the international posting systems and restrictions and all that stuff. So that's cool and all that. But the one thing that's concerning to me is that people are saying that his stuff is very similar to Song Juan Oh, who, while he worked for a little bit, is I'm not sure I want another Song Juan Oh on the squad. I don't know if that's going to be what solves our issues. So what do you think about this rumor? We'll start with you, Tito. How about that? How about it? Um, well, here, here's the thing. You know, a couple of episodes ago, actually on, the Red, on our Redbird Rants podcast, Josh and I actually talked about, uh, funny enough, uh, the Cardinals needing to develop more into the Asian market. Uh, just, you know, now they had Soto Gucci, they had San Juano now. And, and if this guy is, is, if there is legitimate interest, there's no reason why the Cardinals shouldn't bring him in for a tryout or anything like that. Um, if he has good stuff, that's all I care about. It doesn't matter where he's from. So if he has similar stuff to Sonwano, I think that can work. But part of me is reluctant to to go and do anything with that because look at what happened to Sonwano. I think fatigue got to him. I don't think his body is conditioned to pitch a hundred, you know, play a hundred and sixty-two game schedule. And I think that is part of the reason why he had some uh, some failures this year, is that his body just wasn't recuperated enough. And so I'm wondering if that would be the same case um, with this Japanese pitcher. But I will still plant firmly on the fact that if he's got great stuff, if he can throw the ball, you know, for strikes and has a good wipeout slider that we saw, you know, in San Juano's first year, then, hey, I'm all for it, but he's got to prove it. And I don't know enough about him to, to sit here and say, yeah, that's the guy we're going for. So if the Cardinals have done their homework and say, hey, this guy can do some can do some good for us in the bullpen, then, hey, let's go for it. There's no reason not to take a shot. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that he's sort of fatigued I think that it's it's interesting because in those in the internationals, especially in Japan, they seem to work on average. They work arms a lot more than um, than America. I mean, you see guys um, like Daisuke who are just working these extra bullpen sessions and working these extra bullpen sessions and doing all that, and that's how they draw out the arm. And you see guys in Japan still throwing like ridiculous numbers of innings. So it is kind of interesting that these guys do tire out. But what do you think about this, all this, Dr. Miles? 
Well, I don't disagree with a thing that Tito said, even though my comments here are going to sound a little contrary. Let me say, you know, right off the bat, I think that your comments about fatigue are, are, are dead set and right on. You know, my gut tells me I, I really don't want the Cardinals to go after this guy. And, and let me tell you a couple of reasons why. There's really mainly two reasons. And one of those, Tito, you, you hit on a little. And that's his age. Um, he's 34 years old. Um, I can tell you guys, I'm, I'm three years older than that. And my body is absolutely falling apart. I mean, Tito has joked with me about all my health issues. Um, and, and we've sort of laughed that off. But... I mean, let's let's just be completely honest. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not out of shape as a as a baseball player. I'm not conditioned like that. But at the same time, I haven't thrown the number of times that an Adam Wainwright has thrown. I I haven't put my body through those paces. But I can tell you, at at 37, I've got parts of me that are falling apart that make no sense at all. You know, like I you guys have heard me joke about that. My orthopedist actually talked to me about Tommy John on my left elbow, and, and that's not even an arm that I have ever thrown with whatsoever. So I'm, I'm really leery about bringing a, a guy in who's in his 30s, even on a one-year, you know, tryout run. And, and part of that reluctance has to do with Juan Nicasio. Nicasio is older, but Nicasio is with us, and Nicasio has shown – you know, that, that maybe he could hold us over for a year. And the reason that I mentioned Nicasio and holding us over for a year is because I actually said this afternoon on the radio, I, I put the flag in the ground that I really believe that Sandy Alcantara could serve as the closer in 2019. I don't think he's ready for 2018. I think he's got some outstanding stuff, but I don't think he's ready yet. Now, fast forward to 2019, I think he could very well be looking like he's ready if he's still with the club. And that's a huge if, because that's sort of, you know, being a meteorologist and talking about two months in advance. You know, it's just a shot in the dark. It's just a guess. But if I had my way, I'd say stay away from this Japanese closer. And, and Christian, thank God you were the one to bring it up because you actually absolutely pronounced his name correctly that I certainly would have butchered. <laughs> so, you know, all of that said, I I agree with what you said, Tito. At the same time, I don't want them to go after it. So that sounds sort of like a cop-out, right, to say I agree with everything you said, but I don't want them to do anything. But, but that's really how I feel about it because of those major two reasons. Yeah, well, I would hope I'd be able to pronounce that name, considering I am half Japanese. If my dad's listening, he would kind of have, like be whipping me after this. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I can't, I can't. I got, I got to make him proud. So I, I'm gonna lean more towards Tito on this one. I'm very with this Cardinal team. Like I've said in, in previous episodes, this is a very. This isn't a team. These aren't the front office isn't keen to a hard rebuild. I think that I have to see his stuff first. The, his stuff will be the defining thing. But if he has the stuff for a year. I think someone like that if, like, would be a solid stepping stone. It's just a matter of finding a, like, a transition into somebody because at the end of the day, like uh, Dr. Miles said, it's just a matter of waiting for the arms in our farm system to be ready. And it's just a matter of finding that transitional period and just keeping ourselves afloat as much as we can. So I would like to transition then from a Japanese closer to our domestic closer in what we were just talking about, Juan Nicasio. 
Uh, obviously, well, not obviously, but the Cardinals and the Costco have shown mutual interest in a contract. But I have two questions for you. What contract do you are you expecting, and or do you want him to see? Or do you want him to see again, like a long term deal or a short term deal? And do you think he would? You, would you be okay with him serving as the closer next year, or at least to start next year? And we'll start with Doctor Miles. Yeah, this is a real easy answer. Um, yes, I think that they should put a deal together. Uh, not long-term. I think you go in and, and the max you do is a two-year deal with him. And, and you absolutely give him the chance to be your closer coming out of spring training. Uh, that doesn't mean he goes into spring training with that title, however. I, I think he should go in and compete with Rosenthal. I think he should go in and compete with Alcantara, quite honestly. I, I don't think Sandy's ready, but I, I don't think that there's any harm in having him actually compete. Because, guys, we, we could be surprised. Uh, Sandy could show up, I mean, um, you know, he could show up to spring training, pitchers and catchers report, and the dude is on fire, and he's ready to go. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it it certainly could. Um, So the short answer, two-year deal, uh, because even if he's not used as a closer, you could put him at the back end. Even if Sandy is your closer in in, in 18 or in 19, Nicasio could appear in the back end. Um, so that's that's my answer to that. All right, Tito, what about you? I mean, it's hard to deny, you know, with what we saw from Juan Nicasio here, you know, in the in the latter part of September, that you know he is capable of closing games. Now, I I, I think it should, we should make it as a reminder though that Trevor Rosenthal won't pitch next year. He has he just went underwent Tommy John surgery, so he you know he's not he's an afterthought in 2018. So the Cardinals really don't have any other option in the closer role right now, besides you know if they wanted to bring back someone else, but I can almost guarantee that's not going to happen. And so you're looking at literally nothing but you know Alcantara and maybe a couple other people. And if you want experience, my gut says and my head says go with Juan Nicasio. Now, if you look at his numbers on Fangraphs, it tells you that he pitched his value around like a $12 million a year. He's not going to get that. He just just converted into a reliever, so he's probably going to command somewhere in the eight to ten million dollar range per year, maybe even a little lower, and and that's because his deals, you know, his deal this year was worth three million, and so you're at, you know, you're talking about a really big range for a guy that just started relieving. While yes, he's had success, I think that there is going to be some kind of advantage for the Cardinals to negotiate a really good deal. And it's obvious he wants to return. You know, I wrote a piece about it saying that he wants to return after, you know, we got the news from uh, Jennifer Langosh saying that he was happy in St. Louis. So my guess is that, yeah, the Cardinals will bring him back on a two-year deal. It's going to be short-term because he's 34 years old, I believe. There's no reason to go max of two, maybe three. But bring him back on a two-year deal make it around the $8 million mark, I think he'll accept. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm definitely on that same boat with the two-year deal. I think he's definitely not someone that – I mean, I definitely think he's someone that we can trust enough to keep around for that two-year deal. But at the same time, I think that perhaps – I don't bite me if I'm, like, sounding kind of weird on this, but per, the idea is that he, despite playing poorly as a starter, at the end of the day, as a reliever, he's played at an elite level, and he hasn't shown or hasn't proven that he is not that player yet. So I think it could work both ways. I don't think he's going to get or command $18 million, but I do think – there's a sort of idea where he's found his niche. Like, this is the guy. This is where he's supposed to be. This is what we're going to get. There is, I mean, if his agent is good and the Cardinals are the Cardinals, then who knows? But, and by the way, actually, I'm looking it up. Uh, he's actually 30, Tito. I don't, I mean, I'm assuming that oh, doesn't change 30? your opinion. But what do you, does that at all change your idea in the whole situation? Um. You know, him being 30, yeah, kind of. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't scream, hey, that means give him a three- or four-year deal um, because then I'll fall back on, well, he's, you know, he just became a reliever, so he hasn't had that success yet that we, you know, a sustained success. Because what happens in, you know, what happens if, you know, next year he's a complete bust and we're stuck for, you know, stuck with two more years or three more years in Nicasio at nine million, where we could have spent that somewhere else, or saved for a free agent, potentially Zach Britton or somebody like that. So it, it, it kind of says, hey, you know, maybe it's worth a three-year deal. But even then, I would still go to max and, and, and play on the safe side of of trying to get as low as you can on the annual salary, and cite the fact that hey, you know, you were you just started as a reliever last year. We want to see you get some success. So maybe the option is is that you you make it light on the first year, but that second year is is a little heavier on your annual salary. Yeah, I mean those are some great points, Tito. Uh, anything to add, Doctor Miles? Yeah, I was just going to say if you went any more than two years, and if he's a bust, then you've got another Brett Cecil. And, you know, you've got a lot of money invested in an arm that had promise but isn't living up to that promise. And I just don't think you can have two Brett Cecil's out in the bullpen. I, I think that's pretty deadly. Uh, the one thing I would warn about Nicasio as he, you know, let's assume he's coming back. I mean, let's just say that at about a 95%. I, what happens, okay, here's the deal. He said he likes the Cardinals and he wants to come back. But he said that with Derek Lilliquist there. And if we buy what we've been sold, that Lilliquist was not a sabermetrics guy and we need the Cardinals need to have a sabermetrics pitching coach, does that mean, and this is reading a lot to the tea leaves, you guys, so this is sort of out there, but Nicasio said he likes the Cardinals, he wants to come back. Is, is he going to like a sabermetric pitching coach? I mean, just putting that out there. I I think I think this I think the team or the idea of St. Louis is more important to Nicasio than whether or not they bring a uh, sabermetric coach. I, and I think that was clear from his comments, you know, from what he said that day whenever they asked him about whether he wanted to come back to St. Louis. And, and let me read it to you so you kind of have an idea of what I'm saying. He said. 
I would definitely like to come back. This is a winning franchise and a team that has had a lot of success. And I would like to come back for another year or however long they'd like to extend me and hopefully win a championship. So this has, I don't think this has anything to do with other than the fact that he just wants to win and he finds that place in St. Louis. And I think you're right. All right. I, I okay. don't think it had a whole lot to do with Lilliquist. I think you're right on with that. Um, I just wanted to put that out there. I think it could be an interesting wrinkle. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree. At the end of the day, with, I mean, listening to those comments, it definitely sounds like he just has embraced the sort of the St. Louis, the cardinal way, Mr. Ortiz, cough, cough. <clears throat> Don't, anyway, don't well, listen. At the, at, at the end of the day, <laughs> that's that's why that's why I just hit the cough, cough, and tried to move on. <laughs> at the I end mean, of the I'll day, be glad to I, talk I would, about I would. That. I mean, listen, guys. At the end of the day, I'll take anybody's way if they're writing me a large enough check, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, I would like to move on to perhaps a lesser known rumor. It might have come out. It's come out rather recently. An anonymous Marlin player has come out and said that the Cardinals inquired about Marcelo Zuna, D. Gordon, and after Rosenthal went down, they started inquiring about Brad Ziegler. What do you guys think about that? We'll start with Tito. Gosh, you know, Marcelo Zuna was linked with the Cardinals, you know, so often in July. It, it, you know, it was just kind of like a – and I think Dr. Miles will agree with this is, you know – pick your flavor of the Marlins outfield for, you know, two, three, you know, two, three straight weeks. And we never knew what was going to happen. We just knew that the Cardinals were interested in him and, and for good reason. I mean, look at the year he had, he had 30 home runs or so and a hundred RBIs, you know, Cardinals, I'm pretty sure didn't have a hundred RBI guy um, and much less didn't really have a 30 home run guy. So, you know, of course, they're interested in that. And I think the biggest thing that you key on here would be D Gordon. Um, and it, it just, it, that intrigues me a lot. And I wonder, I, and I'm not, I'm not too sure what this means, but if that was the case, you would have to, you, you have to be concerned about Colton Wong's health, I think. Um, mainly because the Cardinals wouldn't be that desperate to make a move for a player like D. Gordon if they didn't think Wong was going to come back this, you know, at some point last year, and he and he thankfully did. But that's where I draw the conclusion: is, is you know, what does that mean for Colton Wong? Yeah, I mean, I definitely that is definitely an eye opener for me because D. Gordon wasn't really in any sort of talks, any sort of rumors or anything like that. And honestly, second base seemed, did seem like the position, considering how bad Carpenter played this year, considering how bad Piscotty played this year. There are a lot of guys where the position was very uncertain and where, I mean, we could have easily found a replacement. So, I mean, for a guy like who was hitting basically 300, to, for a guy like that to suddenly have been caught under fire, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. But what do you think about that, Dr. Miles? I think D. Gordon is an outstanding player, and D. Gordon was being severely undervalued and lost in the Marlins 
organization. I don't know that D. Gordon will be lost in the Marlins organization now that they find the sale of the team. That being said, all those things are just so interesting to me in that recent rumor because, you know, notice it's talked about was sort of retrospective, that these names were sort of tossed around at one time. And I think that's what, Tito, what you were hinting at was that, you know, we knew that it was sort of pick your flavor of the Marlins outfielders. But here's what I have to say to that. Nothing came of it. And right. the answer that we've given to that, or that we were given the trade deadline was that because of the impending sale of the team. Well, maybe. But I also wonder, after I, after I had read and heard of that, that recent release, that recent rumor, I wonder if that was really more push from one side of things. And the Cardinals walked away, and the Cardinals were the ones who lost interest in a Marlins outfielder because the Marlins were only interested if they could package that outfielder with a D Gordon and with, you know, the other name that you mentioned and the Cardinals didn't need that. And, and I'm not really sure they need it now um, because I think Colton Wong has the capability of becoming a D Gordon like player if he figures it out. And I mean, we saw flashes of that, um, but then that also, you have this log jam where, Carpenter has to bat lead off, you know, and, and D Gordon lead off, but D Gordon also has a lot of speed, you guys. And I mean, there's just, there's so many variables in play there. I, I found myself wondering if maybe this was really more indicative of the Cardinals walking away from the negotiating table last year than say the Marlins or say they just couldn't come to terms on something. Cause I, I agree with you, Tito. They, they, I don't think they, they needed a D Gordon, Last year, I'm not really sure they need one now. Uh, I wouldn't turn him down. You know, he's sort of like one of those girls that you say, I, I really probably wouldn't choose to get in bed with her, but I wouldn't pick her. Right. <laughs> and I think I think part of it is is that you also look at what is on the bench for the Cardinals. You also have Jed Jerko, who can serve as utility or backup to Colton Wong at second. And even Matt Carpenter can play second base as he used to. So that's why I found it intriguing. So unless they were willing to move Colton Wong to a different position, such as uh, third base or shortstop, uh, you know, again, that kind of a move for D. Gordon doesn't really make, wouldn't make sense for the Cardinals now, and it wouldn't have made sense then, which is why I, which is why I brought up Colton Wong's health. The only reason why they would go after somebody like that is if they truly thought Colton Wong wasn't going to come back at some point because of all his injuries. And and so uh, it, it just begs to question if there is something wrong with Colton Wong, you know, what is it? But at the end of the day, Mosellac was asked, you know, if, is there any other injuries, you know, that we should know of? And he said no. You know, obviously the ones with Wayne Wright and a couple other guys that were injured already, but Colton Wong's name wasn't mentioned as an injured player. So, again, doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense now either. Yeah. Hey, I mean, can I, I jump in really quickly oh, and just say something it. about Wayne Wright? 
I, I love <laughs> that you brought him up. And, and I, I want to go back to something that I wrote. You know, I did say that his career was over, but what I really said was that his season was over. And Wainwright took a lot of umbrage to that, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, the man felt like it was a, uh, an attack. It, it was really not. It was speculation based on, on information that was released. But I'd love to say now, in hindsight, that I was right. I mean, I, I said his season was over, and it was. Uh, granted, it was because the, the Cardinals really were predominantly, but, but it was over. I was still right. And I just want to put that out there. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> you had to get that parting shot out, didn't you? <laughs> oh, listen, I got that uh, shot in on the radio, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you guys may have think, thought I forgot about it, but I sure as heck didn't. Let's uh, talk about the big boy, Josh Donaldson. So, obviously, there's been a lot of rumors. The about the Cardinals trying to bring Josh in, and it's only uh, been accelerated through the offseason. And there have also been some things, obviously, with Donaldson coming in. There's the idea that Jericho might be on his way out. So, first off, if we do get Donaldson, are you cool with Jericho leaving? We'll start with Tito. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Am I cool if, if we get Josh Donaldson? Um, I'm glad he started with you. I'm really glad yeah. he started with you. <laughs> so this is, this, yeah, this, this is a tough question. And it's actually something, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, he and I actually talked about Josh Donaldson uh, when I was writing my, you know, Cardinal Presser reaction piece um, regarding Colton Wong's future because – in my estimation, I don't foresee a trade with the Blue Jays for Josh Donaldson not involving a player like Colton Wong. Um, that being said, that means Jed Jerko stays and, and more than likely takes over the second base role um, as the starter. Now, is my preference for Jed Jerko? No, because he's, again, and, I, and I've said it before many a time, you know, he's a career 240 hitter, probably bumped it up a little bit more since he batted 270-something this year. So let's say 245. But, again, a 245 hitter with 30 home runs, I'm, I'm telling you, that is where the Cardinals are killing themselves. He's a, great, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, and he can provide power off the bench. But that's what, he's, that's what he should be used for. The Cardinals can't continue to roll out people that are going to more than likely get out at a, at, 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 get out at a 75% rate rather than get a hit at a 25% rate. So am I cool with Jed Jerko leaving? Yes. I think that's okay, but I just don't foresee it happening if they get Josh Donaldson. Now, the interesting thing is with Josh Donaldson, and there was a rumor or kind of a mini rumor that – you know the, int- the that the package was potentially going to be Sandy Alcantara, either Grichik or Piscotti, and I think Harrison Bader was a, was another name mentioned in there. And if that's the case, and if I'm getting Josh Donaldson for that, I'm I'm a little I'm a little intrigued. I'm a, I'm a little kind of like, hey, you know, that's not that bad of a deal. Um, but I, I would expect something else to be thrown in there because, you know, maybe the Cardinals, 
are, are going to get desperate at some point because they, they're not getting success in the offseason like they they need to be. All right. Uh, what about you, Dr. Miles? What are you thinking? You know, I, <clears throat> I joked and said I was glad that you asked Tito first because I, I agree with you, Tito. It's a really, really tough question. So while Tito was talking and, and saying very eloquent points to the issue at hand, I pulled up Jed Jerko and I pulled up Colton Wong. And let me tell you that Jerko's two years older. Wong has one additional year on his contract. Jerko is signed through 2019. Wong is signed through 2020. Wong's contract has him with a, a 2021 team option. But Wong's contract was a five-year, $25.5 million whereas Jerko's was a five-year, $35 million with a good chunk being paid by San Diego. So if you're looking at it from a money perspective, quite honestly, they're a wash. When you're looking at it from an yeah. age perspective, by the time that they reach the end of their contracts, if you had lived out the life of the contract, Jerko has a greater potential for regression just by the two-year age difference, by him being two years older. So – I agree with Tito that I think if if you have the opportunity to move Jerko, I think you do it. And I think you do it because we may have seen the best of Jerko. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that, I think like I, you said, go. Tito, that, that, that rumor of Josh Donaldson for that package, you know, part of me get, gets a little upset on the inside when I hear that package because I'm not really crazy about sending Bader away just yet. At the same time, I don't know that, you know, if you've got Dexter Fowler and you're going to have to at least give him the majority of playing time at center, even though sabermetrics would tell you that Tommy Pham is better in center, um, <laughs> you know, you – if you have that, I don't know that you have a, a great pathway for Harrison. And you got to get some value out of him if you don't have a pathway for him. And ideally, his next step is the majors. I don't know that he breaks camp with the majors in 2018. And so if that's the case, then yes, package him. Hell, send them, send up to Toronto, Gritchick and Piscotti and Bader and not Alcantara, I'd send them somebody else. But if they asked for Alcantara, I'd go for it. Because let's be honest, you guys, the Cardinals have a huge influx of money coming from the TV deal. You can go sign any closer you want with big money. Don't worry about a closer in developing because that's, there's no guarantee in that. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple points I'd like to make with that. First off, I, I mean, I agree with Dr. Miles. It's so annoying how much the Cardinals sort of try and keep themselves in home with closers, how they refuse to really go out and pay big money for a closer. It, it, I feel like they should, but I also feel like past performance is a good indicator of future results. And based on what Moselleck and them have done in the past, I just don't see them actually going for a guy like that. Now, back on in terms of the Donaldson side and the whole Jerko thing, I think since that whole this, I think it was the 2013 season that where Carpenter had 199 home runs or hits. I think ever since that, because they had 
I think something like 100 home runs was just awful. 100 home runs. They were scoring like the same amount as the Padres when they were just awful. And I think since then, for some reason, Cardinal the Cardinal management has been infatuated with these 240 to 260 guys that hit like 20 to 30 home runs because I swear we either get a bunch of those guys or develop those guys. And it just bugs the hell out of me. So, I mean, I definitely would – I mean, I wouldn't be okay with Jerko leaving because at the end of the day, I think it's just another one of those 240, 20 home run guys out. And I think at the end of the day, the Cardinals have too much of those. So, I'd like to transition to another point in the Donaldson thing. So, obviously, you guys have been throwing out a lot of names for trades. You know, a lot of people you want to see go, a lot of people you would rather not. So, what do you think is a realistic piece that the Blue Jays are asked, would ask that you would be 100% off limits? No way. We'll start with you, Dr. Miles, since I spared you last time. Yikes. Um, <clears throat> honestly, with having gone two seasons without making the postseason, I don't know that there is something that I would shy away from. I think that good business practice would say there is no such thing as a deal that I would say no to at this point. So I really don't mean that as a cop out. I really think that Mosaic has to listen to whatever the ask is. And I think you, you take whatever that ask and you go to the table with the smartest people you can find who are in your organization. And that may even just be like the guy who sweeps the, you know, the clubhouse, but you, you get those smart people in the room and you sort of bat around that idea before you just say no. And I think that you don't go into, let's say, the winter meetings, because that's when we know everything really gets kicked around and things start to actually happen. I, I don't think you go into those with a plan that anybody's protected. I think you go in and you say, you, you tell us what you want and what you're giving. I mean, that's definitely a good take. What do you think, Tito? Repeat the question one more time so I, I, so I think I hear All it right. right. Okay. So realistically speaking, who is someone that if, realistically speaking, you could see the Blue Jays asking for in exchange for Donaldson that you would say absolutely not, no way, 100% off limits. You cannot trade for this guy no matter what. Magnair Sierra. I, I, I truly think he is the, the future center fielder for the Cardinals. And I, I think Magnair Sierra is, is one of those guys that I would say is, is untouchable. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, this might surprise people, but I think Luke Weaver would be someone that I – would not touch no matter what. I think that... Yeah, they're not trading him. I think that that's definitely someone they would definitely look to ask for because they have... The Blue Jays have said that they're looking for people only for this year, or for next year. So I could definitely see them doing that. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. But uh, I think we are just about out of time. So before we go... Do you want to give a quick World Series winner prediction? Start well, with mine, mine, yeah, mine, mine still is there. Mine's the Cleveland Indians. Hopefully they can get it done tomorrow. So I'll, I'll stick with the Cleveland Indians if they can get past 
uh, the Yankees tomorrow. Same. All right, Dr. Miles, hold up. All right. And uh, I think that's about all the time that we have for today. So thank you guys so much for joining us on the Redbird Rants official podcast. And uh, we hope to see you next week. So take care, everybody.